0: You are listening to Episode 7 of Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 18. Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 9th. Philip Delman met me promptly at the front door of Jimmy's at 1900. He was in civvies, but I was still in my khakis. I was pretty sure we wouldn't evoke the slightest comment, We went in, and the maitre d' seated us almost immediately. We were unfashionably early for fine dining on the orbital, which was just the way I preferred it. I almost felt bad for the crew aboard. Wyatt had taken a chance and stretched his culinary wings for the evening meal. He'd skipped the can of soup and opened a can of beans instead. I very purposefully did not offer critique on his efforts, preferring to acquire adequate information before taking remedial action. We ordered, and while the drinks were being drawn, Philip opened the conversational gambit with a classic. So, how was your first day at the office? (laughs) I don't remember the last time twelve stands went by so fast. How about you, the tinker adapting to you? That crew is amazing, Ishmael. You are right. Bear is formidable, and Nenko is brilliant. He shook his head in wonder and turned eagerly to allow the waiter to place a preprandial cocktail in front of him. "'Any lines on a new second? "'He nodded. "'Yes, I'm meeting with one in the morning. "'The company posted yesterday, and his name came up today, "'so we're hoping we'll be simpatico "'and we'll be getting underway the day after. "'How about you?' "'I could have sworn he smirked into his highball. "'How's the crew treating you?' "'Not too bad, actually. "'I do have some questions for you. "'I dare say.' "'He was smiling at me. "'What's with Wyatt and the food?' "'Oh, his opening cans?' Well, that and the freezers full of chow that's never been used. Freezers full? Yeah, three freezers in the galley store sections are full of food that's been there for something like 18 months. If the inventories are right, there's only a dozen kilograms missing from the original shipments. Oh, I'm sure the inventories are right. That man can count with the best. What he can't do is think. I sipped my own drink as the first course was delivered to the table. I had a nice salad of greens dressed with oil and balsamic vinegar. Philip had the soup. When the waiter had gone, I followed up. Interesting observation. Do you know why he won't carry a tablet? Oh, yes, he drops them. Repeatedly. Maddening thing. Any idea why? I mean, we all drop them occasionally. I had, in fact, dropped mine exactly three times since I got my current upgrade almost five stand years before. Delman shook his head. No, not really. They're pretty heavily armored, so how he manages to break it is beyond me. I moved on. So what do you think of his cargo picking? Delman finished with the sup of soup he was taking before replying. That was probably the single most aggravating thing he did. It seemed like we were always in port, six or seven days, occasionally eight or nine, while he looked for a cargo. And when he found one, it was almost always a low-yield box of nothing. Almost like he just took the first thing on the open cargo list that the ship could handle? Philip brightened. Exactly. And I never could understand why. I talked to him repeatedly about his initiative and entrepreneurial spirit, but nothing I said to him seemed to stick. Did you by any chance ever tell him that he should be picking his own cargoes? At this, Delman looked confused. Tell him what? Anything like, oh, these last few shipments have been really low value and our shares are hurting because of it? Why in the world would I have done that, Ishmael, my lad? "'The man's a cargo chief. He had to know that.' "'Did you ever pick a cargo or two yourself, just to help out, show what you were looking for?' "'He actually looked alarmed at that idea.' "'Certainly not. I'm a deck officer. I don't know anything about picking cargo. That's what the cargo officers are for.' "'You'll appreciate Mr. Hines, I think.' "'Marcus? That man is genius. You know he had a cargo can lined up on the first day I talked to him?' "'I suspect he did.' I didn't get into it, but Marcus usually had our next cargo consignment at least a week before we tied up from the last. He missed a few good ones that he might have gotten if he'd waited, but he also locked down some excellent cargoes that would have been gone if we had. The Tinker's shares were very good under his picking. What's with Gerhardt? Anything odd with her, other than she looks fifteen and sounds twelve? Delman's spoon scraped the last of the soup out of the bowl. I'm not sure. Not sure? He shrugged. She appears to be some kind of idiot savant, looks at equipment and knows how to make it work. Breakdowns don't happen. If she ever tells you something needs replacing, replace it immediately, if not sooner. I thought his tone carried a certain bitter voice of experience. So she's competent? I checked her logs and they're impeccable. I have no idea how she got on that ship to tell the truth. She's much too competent. The only thing I've ever had a problem with is that she talks in that whispery little kid voice all the time. I thought about that as the entree was delivered. I had a nicely flaked whitefish fillet, and Delman had a steak. We gave homage to the culinary gods for a few ticks while the food was hot and my mind was digesting. Delman returned us to the business of captaining. What can you tell me about Chief Manus? speaking of engineers?' brilliant engineer, great manager. She keeps that after neat as a pin and clean enough to eat off. Her engineering gang dotes on her. She seemed rather cool toward me. I gave a little shrug. Mel was also a very astute judge of character, but I didn't mention that. Give her time to get to see you in action. I also didn't say what the likely outcome of that might be. Yeah, I suspect you're right. He chewed meditatively for half a tick. Are there any weak spots in the chain of command there? Well, I think you'll find that the people under you in the chain are rock steady, know their jobs, and they like to do them. I can't speak for this new guy, but the rest you should find to your liking. He actually beamed. Excellent. Talk to me about Miss Thomas. What's her story? Oh, Gwen is invaluable. She'll keep those ratings on their toes, let me tell you. Really? I haven't met them all to form an opinion yet, but Mr. Schubert seems to be fairly sharp. Undisciplined, maybe, but sharp. Sharp as a knife in the back. In what way? Count on him to do something to embarrass the ship every chance he gets. You mean like failing to acknowledge the call button for the owner and then pretending to be asleep on watch when somebody else gets it open? Delman blanched. He didn't. I nodded. Delman sighed. Well, I hope Gwen ripped him a strip of fresh hide for that one. Are you sure he was only pretending to be asleep? I'm pretty sure. Have you ever heard that call buzzer from inside the ship? Oh, yeah. You can hear that thing all the way up to officer country. Rather unlikely that he'd have slept through its ringing multiple times, don't you think? He seemed startled by that notion. Does seem unlikely, doesn't it? What else can you tell me about the boys? Hill's the ringleader. He's got the gift of gab and an evil mind. Ricks? He's a space lawyer. He'll cite you chapter and verse every chance he gets. And Schubert? yeah, Schubert's the class clown. He'll do anything for a laugh. He refilled my teabags with oregano once, coated the announcer mic on the bridge with something like shoe black. Miss Thomas looked like she'd been kissing a coal scuttle for two days. Yes, Miss Thomas. What's with the cabin door? He laughed. Already got you there, eh? I have no idea. She has some very strange ideas on propriety, and you will not get her to budge on that. Really? Oh, yeah. I don't know if she was abused as a cadet or she just hopes she will be. Right up to that point, I thought Captain Philip Delman might be just a bit dense. But that was the point where I knew why he'd been put on the Agamemnon. And frankly, it gave me pause to wonder if perhaps there was a reason that I had been given the assignment. I concentrated on my food and let the conversation lapse for a few takes. I thought you were going to ask about her voice. Her voice? What about her voice? It's loud. Oh, really? You hadn't noticed. The blackguards on the crew call her foghorn behind her back. I made a show of considering before offering a shrug. Don't know that I really noticed. She snorted. I don't know how you could miss it. I let the remark pass. Any comments on Paul? I just met him briefly this evening at watch change. He seems nice enough. A bit young for second. Ah, Billy is a dear boy. First in his academy class. Got second on his first try. I don't know if he'll ever make first. Why not? He looks okay. Billy the Buccaneer. Excuse me? They call him Billy the Buccaneer. The kid's got pirates under his bunk. Everything that happens, it's pirates. Milk goes bad? Pirates. Jump missed by a few clicks? Pirates. Give him a chance and he'll regale you with tales of the famous pirates of High Tortuga. High Tortuga? Yeah, he claims there's this mystical place out there in the deep dark where the pirates congregate called High Tortuga. He'll tell you all about it if you give him half a chance. I considered that while I finished off my fish. That doesn't sound like it would get in the way of his making first. Normally, I'd agree. There aren't that many questions about pirates on the first exam, as I remember. Well then why? Because young Mr. Paul is convinced that the pirates know that he knows about them, and they'll try to kill him if he goes any higher in the chain of command. Paranoia? Let's just say a little light on the stabilizing thrusters. When's he eligible to sit for first? Next year sometime. I made a mental note of that. We filled the remainder of the meal with background and war stories, At the end of the meal, over a final coffee for me and a sherry for him, he returned to discussing my crew. Yes, you've got your work cut out for you, Ishmael Malad. Gwenny will keep the boys in line for you, and Gerhardt will get you there. Billy the Buccaneer may keep you entertained if you like pirate stories. The weak link there is Wyatt. He's barely competent to open a can, and he seems to have all the logic and reasoning of a stuffed green pepper. Well, I'm looking forward to the challenge. I think we might be able to do something here. You watch your back, Ishmael. That crew will break your heart. The boys will stomp you into the deck. I thought about that as I settled up with the establishment. Expensive, but worth every credit for what I'd learned. The food was a nice side benefit. We walked together to the lift, and he got out at the dock. Good night, Ishmael, my lad. Congratulations and best wishes on the Agamemnon. Wish your hands. Congratulations on the tinker as well. I hesitated for a heartbeat before adding... You've got a great crew there. they will be a tremendous help to you. Oh, I'm certain, Ishmael, after the incompetence of the Agamemnon, this crew is a breath of fresh air. The lift doors closed, and I pulled out my tablet to admire the menu that Wyatt had sent me just before I'd left the ship. Not only did he have a menu, when I went back to him and asked him to plan it using only the food stocks available in the ship's inventory, he'd had it revised in less than half a stand. Not bad work for a stuffed green pepper, I said it just as a lift opened on 07. The stationer waiting there blinked once. Excuse me, Captain? I smiled and shook my head. Well, nothing. Bad habit I have of talking to myself. She smiled in reply and stepped into the car as I stepped off. I hurried to her apartment to change into civvies before heading over to the Miller Moth. I wanted to visit with Jen for a while, and she'd be working until 0200. I knew from experience that if I sat on the end of the bar, we'd be able to chat and visit between customers. It was a pleasant way to spend the evening. In two shakes, I'd stripped off my uniform and started rummaging in the closet. I grabbed my favorite pair of jeans and went through the hangers looking for a shirt. I grabbed a handy one and slipped it off the hanger and onto my shoulders in one smooth movement. I looked at it in the mirror while I buttoned and had one of those odd moments of blankness. I'm good with clothes, but I could not for the life of me remember when I'd gotten it. It fit a bit snugly about the shoulders and loose around the waist. I hated clothes that didn't fit right. I must have gotten it so long ago I'd misplaced the mental receipt, and when it didn't fit, it got pushed to the back of the closet. I shrugged off the lapse. It was good enough to suit the purpose. I tugged on my boots and headed down to the pub to chat up that gorgeous woman who I was pretty sure I'd be sleeping with later. That thought gave me a warm smile. Chapter 19. Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 10th. My tablet started beeping me awake almost before I got to sleep. I suspected I'd made a tactical blunder by sitting with Jen at the bar until she and George closed up at 0200, and then we'd come back home for what might most charitably have been characterized as falling on each other like animals, repeatedly. The beeping was my conscience, and my penance would be a day of duty without sleep. I slapped the tablet to shut it off and realized that I had enough to do to keep me awake, and I probably wouldn't notice. I grabbed a fast three-tick shower, put my uniform mostly on, patted myself on the back for not being hung over as well as exhausted, and made my way to the ship. Ricks was on the brow and greeted me pleasantly enough when I stepped aboard at 0500. What's for breakfast this morning, Mr. Ricks? He seemed surprised that I'd addressed him. I'm sure I don't know, Captain. If you had to guess, what would it be? Packaged cereal, dry toast, and tea, sir. That sounds grim. He shrugged noncommittally. What would you like for breakfast, Mr. Ricks? He answered me instantly. Pancakes, sausage, maybe a bit of applesauce on the side. Sausage, not bacon. Bacon would do, sir. But you like sausage, Mr. Ricks. With pancakes? Yes, Captain, I do. And you did ask. I nodded. Indeed, I did. And I think your breakfast sounds better than what I'm likely to find in there. Thank you for your feedback, Mr. Ricks. Carry on. I headed into the ship and up to the cabin. My cabin. The glow from the station's skin outside was more than enough light for me to change out of my khakis and into a ship suit. Day two and high time, we began to try to turn this ship around a bit. First things first, and food is a key. My old boss Cookie from the Lois McKendrick used to say, it's the only restaurant they have in the deep dark, but they should still want to eat there. Something like that. Padding into the darkened galley reminded me of him. The ready cooler had nothing resembling sausage, or even bacon, in it, so I had to take a few ticks to look up the inventory and find a case of both bacon and sausage in the deep freeze. I remembered to put on a pair of work gloves before moving the colder-than-ice packages. Well, in honesty, they were a pair of oven mitts because I couldn't find any gloves handy. I started a list of things I wanted Mr. Wyatt to buy. I left the case of bacon in the chiller to begin thawing and took the case of sausage to the galley. I was a little uneasy about what I might find in the case, but whoever had purchased this had done the right thing and gotten portion-controlled, individually-wrapped servings. I pulled out enough sausage for ten people, took the case back to the ready cooler to join the bacon. When I got to the galley, I went to draw a cup of coffee and discovered that the pot was empty. It was clean enough, just empty. A few ticks of rummaging in the lockers turned up a can of ground coffee and my buckets of Sarabanda dark. What it didn't turn up was a coffee grinder. I added that to the list for Wyatt. The can of coffee smelled relatively fresh, and in an emergency, one sometimes has to sacrifice. The pot was dribbling nicely in a matter of a tick or two, and I turned back to the sausage. I tossed the packages into the microwave and set it to defrost. I didn't think it would work completely, but it would move enough molecules that I'd probably be able to get the packaging material off. A hot griddle would fix the rest. Pancakes turned out to be a bit of a challenge. No flour, no baking powder, no baking soda— plenty of salt, but not even any fresh eggs. I checked the dry goods inventory and found a box of pancake mix. It wasn't perfect, but it would do for the moment. I added the flour and other missing ingredients to the list. I had to give the stuffed green pepper credit for a painstakingly accurate inventory. Whatever flaws he may have had, and I was convinced that they weren't anything at all like people imagined, his record keeping was impeccable. That thought reminded me to update the stock levels for the amount I'd drawn down. The range was a commercial model that had six burners and even a steel griddle plate. It wasn't a big plate, but big enough for my purposes. While it was heating up, I slopped the pancake batter together roughly and smiled as I heard Cookie's voice. It's called batter, young Ishmael, so beat it, just not into submission. A few turns with the whisk was sufficient, and the batter had the correct lumpy consistency. I was going to add a dash of cinnamon with a bit of sugar, but there was no cinnamon. I put the sugar in anyway and started a list of spices and herbs. By then the microwave had beeped and the sausages sizzled nicely when they hit the griddle. The red light on the coffee urn was also on, so I grabbed a cup before I started ladling out the batter. At 05.30, Mr. Paul trudged into the galley. Captain? What are you doing? Good morning, Mr. Paul. I am cooking breakfast. Anything to report? He blinked blearily. "'No. Long, quiet night.' "'He crossed to the pot and drew a mug of his own. "'Breakfast, Captain?' "'Yes. It's a meal usually consumed early in the diurnal cycle. "'Etymologically speaking comes from the phrase breaking the fast, "'since one doesn't, as a rule, eat while asleep. "'Yes, Captain, but why are you fixing it? "'Did pirates kidnap Mr. Wyatt?' "'I don't know, Mr. Paul. "'I just got here a short time ago, and I haven't checked his stateroom.' "'When I came aboard, I saw that we needed to have breakfast going in short order, "'and Mr. Ricks on the brow said he would like to have pancakes and sausage. "'I thought it sounded pretty good, so?' "'I waved my spatula at the now-covered grill and shrugged. "'You're sure it's not pirates?' "'He sounded disappointed. "'Not entirely, no, Mr. Paul. "'An absence of evidence does not represent evidence of absence, "'but in the face of inadequate evidence, "'I would suspect that the simplest solution may be the most likely.' Yes, Captain, I think I agree. Think you agree, Mr. Paul? Well, just because nobody's seen pirates doesn't mean they're not there. Logically sound, Mr. Paul, and a perfect example. I glanced up at the chrono just as it started to tick over to 0545. Mr. Paul, are you ready to relieve the watch? Yeah, I think so, Captain. Are you ready to take third section, or should I wake Greta? I relieve you, Mr. Paul. Please log it at O five forty-five for me. I have my hands full here. Of course, Captain. Anything I can do to help. Syrup and orange juice. I haven't found either yet, but I'm pretty sure there's a can of syrup in the dry goods locker and a crate of frozen concentrate in number three. If you'd rummage those up, we'd be able to serve breakfast at 0600, I think. Sure thing, Skipper. He headed into the store's area, and I threw him the oven mitts. Don't touch the frozen goods without those on. You'll burn yourself. He caught them both before they hit the deck and blinked at them before nodding, slipping them on thanks. I wouldn't have thought of that. I burned myself before. Not fun, but a hard lesson I've never forgotten. He nodded and disappeared into stores. I thought he was humming a sea chanty, but I couldn't hear well enough to be sure. He was singing something to himself. Before he could come back, Avery Wyatt burst onto the mess deck. Captain, what are you doing? I'm just cooking up a batch of pirate repellent. Have you seen any? Seen any what? Pirates, Mr. Wyatt. Have you seen any? No, Captain. Must be working, then. How many pancakes can you eat? Three, Captain. Coffee's done and Mr. Paul is looking for the orange juice. Number three, freezer. That's where he's looking. Are you sure you don't want me to fix breakfast, Captain? It's okay, Avery. I've got stuff for you to do today, and I've got this under control. You haven't called cargo dispatch yet, have you? No, Captain. I was going to call this morning. Good. Don't. I'll handle that while you're out shopping. Shopping, Captain? Captain? Yeah. I found some things I need you to get for ship stores. We have supply budget left, I presume? Yes, Captain. Okay, good. I've got a list, but it's not done yet. I think you can get it all at the chandlery down on O-1. Mr. Paul returned with a case of concentrate balanced carefully across the oven mitts. I nodded to the counter. Drop it there while you find the syrup. Wyatt took a sip of his coffee and put the cup on the table. I know where it is. I can show you, William. They went back, and I could hear them rummaging around back there. I grinned into my griddle, pulled a few more pancakes off onto a warming pan. An able spacer I didn't recognize stumbled onto the mess deck. I turned to face him. You must be Mr. Hill. I am? And who would you be when you're at home? You don't get out much, do you, Mr. Hill? What? I'll be your O.D. this morning, Mr. Hill, I nodded at the chronometer, and if you haven't relieved Mr. Ricks already, you're late on the brow. Oh, and you can call me Captain. It's not my name, but use it until you've mastered the knack. The expression on his face was moving from puzzlement to perplexitude, but he was obviously not tracking. I sighed. Coffee, Mr. Hill. Get some. Now. In that pot. The one with the little red light on it. Relieve Mr. Ricks at the brow. Do that, Mr. Hill, and we will sort out your chain of command once the ship's business is in hand. To his credit, he did it with only a muttered, aye, aye, sir. Wyatt and Paul returned from stores, Paul holding a plastic retort of syrup triumphantly. Excellent. Avery, if you'd get a jug of concentrate mixed up, and William, if you'd put that case back into the ready freezer, it'll stay frozen and handy there. Between the two of them, they managed to get the box open without burning or cutting themselves. At 0600, I slid a big platter of sausages and another of pancakes onto the sideboard. Ladies and gentlemen, breakfast is served. Miss Thomas burst into the galley. What's going on in here? What's that smell? Her voice echoed off the overhead. I lifted my nose and sniffed delicately. I believe that's sausage you're referring to, Miss Thomas. Not quite as redolent or identifiable as bacon, but a pork product of some provenance nonetheless. It was Mr. Paul who asked, Captain, do you always talk like that? I nodded sadly, quite a lot of the time. Mr. Ricks came into the galley then and just shook his head. I don't believe it, sir. Pancakes and sausage? Well, it sounded good to me, Mr. Ricks. Sorry about the applesauce. Grab a plate and dig in. Do you happen to know if Mr. Schubert is aboard? He hasn't come back yet, Captain. Should we be alarmed? I looked around the room. Ms. Thomas said, the authorities usually contact us if there's a problem. Well, then we'll assume he's a big boy and able to take care of himself until we have evidence to the contrary. I stuck my head around the corner. Breakfast, Mr. Hill. Come and get it. Greta Gerhardt joined us eventually, and I realized that we had the whole crew less one. The two ratings sat at one table, while Avery Wyatt, Thomas, and I sat at another. Because she was late, Greta sat shyly with the ratings, who actually welcomed her with grins. While we ate, I added to my shopping list, including root crops, dry goods, and a case of fresh eggs. I also added some notes about changes I needed in the ship. Chapter 20. Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 10th. Breakfast cleanup was minimal. The midwatch headed for their bunks while the off-watch wandered off, The chief went down to engineering, and I settled with Mr. Wyatt at one of the tables to go over my requirements. He accepted the list without question and headed for the chandlery. That left me to deal with Mr. Hill. I ambled out to the brow, and Mr. Hill looked up from his reading. The screen in front of him didn't have anything in particular on it. It looked like some kind of novel. A little light reading, Mr. Hill. I'm allowed, sir. Yes, you certainly are, Mr. Hill. Anything to report? No, sar. His voice carried the sneer that his face clearly showed. Do we have a problem, Mr. Hill? No, sar. we do not have a problem. He put special emphasis on the we. Very well, then, Mr. Hill. Do you have a problem? No, sar. I do not have a problem. Are you certain, Mr. Hill? Quite, sar. Excellent, Mr. Hill. I think we'll get along famously. I turned to go, and behind me he spoke again. It won't work, you know, sir. I didn't turn back to him. What's that, Mr. Hill? You're coming in here all buddy-buddy, making nice. It won't work. The pause was deliberate. Sar. I did turn to him then. Mr. Hill, I'm not sure what you're implying, but let me assure you that the only agenda I have on this ship is to make it into an effective and efficient money-making machine I'll need everybody's help to make that happen. So as for making it work, as you so charmingly put it, let me assure you, it will work. You think a little pancake breakfast is going to turn it around? Mr. Hill, that should be you think a little pancake breakfast is going to turn it around, SAR. What? Try again, Mr. Hill. Use SAR or Captain. SAR? Much better, Mr. Hill. Now, as to your question, no, I don't think a little pancake breakfast is going to turn it around. I think we have a lot of work ahead, and I believe your role in that effort will be key. He sniggered. What, Mr. Hill, you don't feel like you're a member of this crew? Oh, yeah, I'm a member, sir. Lowest of the low, but a member. Actually, I believe that ordinary spacer Ricks holds that distinction on this ship, Mr. Hill, but what's your point? Well, sir, you don't see any of us calling the shots, do you? And as for being a money-making machine, Wyatt couldn't pick his nose, let alone a decent cargo. That's Mr. Wyatt, Mr. Hill. And do you think you could pick a cargo any better? Sar, a blind lemur, could pick cargoes better than Mr. Wyatt. Would you care to make a little wager, Mr. Hill? What? Almost. Try again, Mr. Hill. Sar? I knew you could do it. I asked if you wanted to bet that you could outpick Mr. Wyatt on cargoes. What's the bet? He remembered after a short pause. Sar. Hmm, good question. What kind of stakes do you think, Mr. Hill? You're serious? I waited, and he added, Sar. Very, Mr. Hill. He looked at me for a long moment. I'm not sure what calculus he was solving. Okay, Sar, if I win, I get to sit at the captain's table at mess. I didn't see that one coming. The captain's table, Mr. Hill. There are two tables in the galley, Captain. Don't tell me you didn't realize. He sat me back on my heels with that. To tell you the truth, Mr. Hill, breakfast is only my second meal aboard. I didn't realize. But that's not a good bet for you. Pick something better. That's what I want, Captain. I'll grant you that anyway. Once we get underway, you can sit at the captain's table, as you call it, at every meal, Mr. Hill. Pick something else. You're joking. I waited. Sar. No, Mr. Hill, I'm not joking. You can sit at the same table that I do as soon as we get underway. He got a sly calculating look that I didn't like, but he thought a little longer. A hot tub, Captain. A hot tub, Mr. Hill. I rather like the sound of that myself. Where would we put it? In the workout room, sir. I bet if we rearrange it, we could put one in there. One moment, Mr. Hill. I'd like to see if it looks feasible to me. I sauntered down the length of the ship and into the workout room behind the crew's quarters. Just looking at it, I thought there might be more than sufficient space there. I returned to where Mr. Hill was watching me. I will accept that wager, pending Chief Gerhardt's assessment on the plumbing and heating. Trying to weasel already, Captain? Not at all, Mr. Hill. I attend to wager in good faith, and I want to make sure that I can actually pay off should I lose. If there's a problem with putting the hot tub in that space from an engineering perspective, I'll need to ask you for something else. But I'll ask Chief Gerhardt's opinion on feasibility before we actually bind the wager. Is that satisfactory, Mr. Hill? I don't know, Captain. Sounds like you're hedging before we even start. Come, come, Mr. Hill. I'm just trying to be reasonable. I can't make you king of the universe or give you a million credits either. I just want to make sure that what I agree to, I can actually deliver. And what do you want if I lose? I waited until he added it. Sar, if you lose, you sit for a specialty rating, Mr. Hill. Any particular one, Captain? No. Any division, any specialty. Within six months at the end of the contest, you will sit for the test in that rating. I don't have to pass it, Tsar. I shook my head. No, Mr. Hill. You just have to sit for the exam. He thought about it. I'll give him credit. He looked at me for a long tick before saying... "'That's not good enough, Captain. Pick something better.' "'That's what I want, Mr. Hill.' He reached over to the console and flicked the screen to a half-completed lesson on cargo handling. "'I'll grant you the test, Captain. Just let me take it on the next cycle.' He was smiling now. "'Pick something else.' "'Very well, Mr. Hill. If I win, then you become Mr. Wyatt's apprentice for as long as you're both aboard.' "'What does that mean, Captain?' It means Mr. Wyatt will teach you how to pick cargoes better, and you'll help him with stores. He thought about it, staring at the half finished lesson on his screen. Very well, Captain. I think I can agree to those terms. You don't want to add a condition that I have to remain aboard for some period of time? No, Mr. Hill. If I pass this exam, I can get another berth, Captain. You could, but then I wouldn't have to put in the hunt tub if you forfeit, Mr. Hill. And I have a feeling that you're an honorable man. I could be wrong, but you don't strike me as the type who'd welch on a bet. What are the conditions of this bet, Captain? Oh, good question. We can't have this be some kind of hypothetical contest, Mr. Hill, but a real test of your picking ability. I thought about it for maybe a tick. Here's what I propose. I will give you each a can to fill. On each trip, you will fill that can. We'll keep track of the profit and loss on each can, and at the end of, say, ten trips, the winner will be the one with the highest gross profit. Ten trips? Captain, that's almost twenty months. I'm not willing to wait that long for my hot tub. Three trips. You raise a valid issue, Mr. Hill. But luck is too much a factor on only three trips. Five trips, and you have to have your cargo picked no later than the end of our first day in port. What about the third can, Captain? We're ready to carry three cans. Oh, that. That one's mine, Mr. Hill. He looked at me skeptically. Yours, Captain. Mine, Mr. Hill. I'm not part of the contest, but it's not fair to count gross profit and then let Mr. Wyatt have two containers. For the duration of the five trips, I'll pick one can of cargo. You pick one. Mr. Wyatt will pick the third. I'll pick first, and I'll pick mine at least 48 hours before docking. You, two will have to pick cans going to the same place as mine. "'And we'll start this when, sir?' "'Immediately. "'I want to get underway tomorrow afternoon, "'and I intend we should have a cargo. "'I'll pick one as soon as Mr. Wyatt returns, "'and then you two will have to pick one by the end of the watch.' "'Not ideal, but we're all under the same time constraints, "'so it's equally burdensome. "'Agreed.' "'That sounds fair, Captain. "'Very well, Mr. Hill. Carry on. "'I'll check with Chief Gerhardt on the plumbing situation "'to see if we have a valid bet.' "'I headed back into the ship and took a left turn at the ladder.' "'dropping down one deck to engineering. "'When I explained what I wanted to Miss Gerhardt, "'she laughed and clapped her hands in excitement. "'Will it go there, Miss Gerhardt? "'I'm concerned for plumbing and electrical runs. "'Oh, no, Captain, it'll be just fine. "'You sound very certain of that. "'Oh, I am. "'The space is right behind the crew's head. "'There's no reason I can think of not to put one in there. "'Thank you, Miss Gerhardt. "'One other thing. "'Can we put a repeater console on the mess deck? "'Like a bridge console, Captain?' Exactly, Miss Gerhardt. Her eyes twinkled in delight. I have just the thing in spare, sir. It'll be no trouble. Please replace anything you use up, Chief. I don't want to get underway without a spare. The chore completed. I needed to contact the chandlery myself and see about having a little remodeling done, but before I got them on the line, I went back to the brow. Well, Mr. Hill, Chief Gerhardt assures me we have sufficient infrastructure for the hot tub, and I think we have a bet. I spit in my hand and held it out. He did the same, and we shook on it. Chapter 21, Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 10th. At 0930, Mr. Wyatt returned from his store's procurement. They'll be delivering the whole order this afternoon, Captain. Excellent, Mr. Wyatt. I need to contact the ship fitters for a small renovation project, but I need to tell you about a little wager I've made with Mr. Hill. You're going to pick one can of cargo. He's going to pick one can of cargo. If, after five trips, his cans earned more than your cans, I'll install a hot tub. What if my cans earn more, Captain? Then he becomes your apprentice. You teach him all you know, and he helps you with the stores. You wagered this? What do you get out of it, Captain? A more profitable ship. Wait, what do you mean I pick a can of cargo? Sit, Avery. We need to talk. I explained Cargo Dispatch and how all they were doing was picking the first cargo on the list. You can do a lot better than that, Avery. He was stunned. He just sat there. That's impossible. I shook my head. No, I'm afraid it's not. I talked to the clerk there yesterday afternoon. This is the first chance I've had to talk to you. Avery screwed up his face and leaned across the table so he could talk softly. But, Captain... I don't know the first thing about picking cargoes. Anxiety had his whole body nodded. You just bet that I could outpick Mr Hill. I nodded with a happy smile. Avery, he thinks he can outpick you because of the cargoes we've been carrying since you came aboard. But I haven't picked any of those cargoes. That, Mr. Wyatt, is exactly my point. Nobody knows if you can pick cargo or not because you've never done it. "'But you bet a hot tub, Captain.' "'And I'll gladly buy a hot tub if you two can pick some decent cans. "'The incremental value to the ship and the crew shares will be very much worth it. "'I also bet on your getting an apprentice and some help with stores. "'I wouldn't have done that if I didn't think you could do it.' "'His level of anxiety did not appear to ease. "'But, Captain, I have no idea if I can do it or not.' "'I do.' "'How can you be so sure, Captain?' I pulled out my tablet and showed him the menus. This proves it. You took a huge amount of data, distilled it down to a few likely choices, applied some judgment, and built a menu for 60 days using just the stores we have aboard. I'm going to want a bit of a change to it based on the incremental stores you bought this morning. But if you can do this, you can pick cargo. He started to calm down. Well, that wasn't very hard. I knew all the variables. This is true. Cargo picking is a little more complicated. You don't know all the variables, but you don't really need to. The more data you can use, the better you'll be, but even having a little control will let you do better than cargo dispatch. That was purely random assignment. He uncoiled a little more. What do I do? Well, you already know most of it. Cargo dispatch gave you a manifest number. You logged in and booked the manifest by the number. It was almost always a three can unit because that's what they searched for. You'll be searching for a one can unit. Once you have the number, you'll log it just like before. Everything else works exactly the way you know how to do. The only difference is that instead of waiting for cargo dispatch to give you the numbers, you'll get them from your own research. And Mr. Hill? Yes, Mr. Hill will give you his number, and you'll book it just as if it were cargo dispatch giving it to you. Who will pick the third can, Captain? I will. In fact, I'll pick first. You two have to pick cans going to the same place. Furthermore, you have to pick your cans within 24 stands of docking. I'll lock mine at least two days before we get in, so you'll have three days to pick your cans. He was almost completely relaxed again. I really can't lose, can I, Captain? No, Mr. Wyatt, you can't lose because you have no dog in this fight. I'm the one who's betting with Mr. Hill. You're just the innocent bystander. And I can't lose either, because no matter who makes more money, the ship wins. But I do have a problem. I need to pick a can going somewhere, because you need to pick your can before the end of this watch." What? How am I supposed to do that? I pulled up my tablet and had to display the current ready cargoes in the station net. I filtered for one can loads ready for shipment immediately. I scanned down the list looking for a value higher than the average. There were several and one carried a small priority. I grabbed that one and forwarded the manifest ID to Mr. Wyatt's tablet, which I was pleased to hear bip from across the table. If you'd book that number to the ship, Mr. Wyatt, we've got the first can and it's going to Welliver. I looked up to see Mr. Wyatt staring at me. Is that all we have to do? I shrugged. If you'd book that can, Mr. Wyatt, it won't be available long, and I don't want to lose it. I'll explain after we have the contract. Of course, Captain. He stood and hurried off. I followed him out of the galley, but headed for the brow. The game is on, Mr. Hill. Welliver, and that priority can of machine parts is mine. He snapped to his screen and pulled up the open cargo list. I was close enough to see that it was almost the same display that I just had on my tablet, with just a few more columns of information. He adjusted his display with a couple of keystrokes. This one, Captain? I looked over his shoulder, and he'd found it. Yes, that's the one. While we were watching, the status changed to show it under contract to us. Nice snag, sir. Thank you, Mr. Hill. We need two more cans as good as or better than that by the end of the watch. I'll get Mr. Paul on a flight plan for departure on or about noon on the 11th. Mr. Hill's screen updated and new cargoes showed up. How do I tell Mr. Wyatt, sir? Just send it to his tablet and dupe it to me. We'll need to figure out a more elegant solution, but I have some ideas. A new priority shipment appeared on the list, and it looked like a good one to me. Mr. Hill barked a short laugh and pounced on his keyboard, but before he could capture it, the status changed to show it already under contract to Agamemnon. Well, Mr. Hill, looks like we already have that one. I mentally applauded Mr. Wyatt. Hmm... This could be trickier than I thought, Captain. The delay in notification and booking could jimmy the deal. My thoughts exactly, Mr. Hill. Perhaps we three can put our heads together on how best to deal with this. Things should go more smoothly now that we've got the cycle underway, but still it seems cumbersome, even to me. I left Mr. Hill watching the screen. I wasn't sure that the delay would be all that significant once the process got started, but I made a note to look into how to make it fairer to Mr. Hill, short of giving him the booking codes. I met Mr. Wyatt coming down the ladder with a smile on his face. I booked a can, Captain. Excellent catch, too, Mr. Wyatt. When Mr. Hill sends you a manifest number, please be sure to book it immediately. Time, as you may have guessed, will be critical on the better cans. Aye, aye, Captain. I understand. I wasn't too worried about Hanky Panky because the final value of the can wouldn't be determined until he actually delivered it. The numbers on this end were speculative and subject to variation in market conditions on the other end. Still, the two cans we were booked for showed good promise for an excellent return. Next for you, Mr. Wyatt, is lunch. I pulled out my tablet and opened the menu list. It says here lunch will be braised chicken, rice and sautéed beans, with a minestrone soup lead and an apple pie for dessert. Mr. Wyatt blanched. He said I didn't need to know how to cook the meal, Captain, only that we have the stores on hand to make it. Indeed I did, Mr. Wyatt. I don't want you to cook it. I want you to round up the stores we need to make it. Where is all this stuff? We spent a fast five ticks having Mr. Wyatt pull the necessary supplies up, and while we were there, I had him identify and retrieve the stores we'd need to make dinner. He understood the idea of pulling full cases to the ready lockers well enough, and I left him staging the next few days' worth of meals. As I headed up to the cabin, he called after me. Can I adjust my menu a bit, Captain? Captain, I'd like to load it so that these materials get used up more rapidly than the things still in deep freeze. You may indeed, Mr. Wyatt, and while you're at it, factor in the stores you procured this morning. The root crops in particular will have a large effect on the menus. In the cabin, I settled down for a little chat with the fine people in the ship-fitting department of the chandlery, and they promised to send up the requisite materials and manpower first thing in the morning. I grinned as I disconnected and looked around the empty cabin. It was only ten hundred, so I took a half a stand to hang up a couple of ship suits and put my personal items in the head. I'd never been one to put up a lot of stuff on the bulkheads, but my eyes went to a spot over the desk, and I made a note to get my master's license framed. I pondered the irony of a land rat teaching spacers how to sail, but shook it off. Sometimes you needed to be an outsider to really appreciate how things work. Otherwise, you just took it for granted. My mother used to say something about having fish describe water, and that seemed to make more sense to me as I headed to the galley to begin cooking lunch. Thanks for listening to Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is the mason's apron and is used with permission of the artist J.F. Archer. Find this and other works by J.F. Archer at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 U.S. license. For more information on the golden age, visit www.solarclipper.com.